Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is the Hunt for Wellness podcast with Jason Miramo, 43, Zamboni. It's another great day for wellness, and this is Bones bringing the packs of F3 Nation the latest strategies and tips to accelerate their king and optimize their queen. Health is a journey and requires you to take a proactive approach on a daily basis. Knowing exactly what to do and how to do it will help you achieve it faster. Each week, we are going to be interviewing the leading health and wellness experts, sharing inspiring stories from the packs, and diving into the latest research to help you optimize your health. So get ready as we embark on your hunt for wellness. Well, welcome back to another edition of the Hunt for Wellness podcast. This is Dr. Tunis Hunt. And, and guys, we have a fun and interesting show for you today. I had the privilege of talking to Dr. Jason Miramo, or Zamboni in the gloom, and he is a medical doctor. In fact, he is board certified in both internal and family medicine, and he serves patients in the Fargo, North Dakota area. And today we have the opportunity to discuss a very interesting subject. Although he's able and capable of talking about many things, one of the things that piqued my interest when talking to him was the fact that he does quite a bit of vasectomies. And vasectomies is really one of those topics that we as men just don't openly talk about. It's not something that uh, is as a common conversation piece at a party or even in the gloom. And I thought, you know, having said that, how many men maybe think about it? How many couples and partners talk about whether or not having a vasectomy is the right decision for them and their family. And so I wanted to bring uh, Dr. Miramo uh, Zamboni on to talk about exactly what a vasectomy is, what are the common myths surrounding a vasectomy, and really who a vasectomy is for and, and who it's not for. So we dive into all those topics today. So stay tuned to learn probably more than you ever wanted to learn about vasectomies and exactly what it is and who it's right for. And as always, if you enjoy today's episode, please share it with your friends, other PAX members, and on your social media. When it comes to accelerating areas of our lives, it can become overwhelming to think about and to implement changes. We often think about things that we would like to achieve, but struggle with the action steps to get started. Accelerating your health and nutrition are no exception. So, 
the very first thing that everyone could be doing to accelerate their health on a daily basis is drink a large cup of water. Believe it or not, when you wake up, you wake up very dehydrated. Unless you were up all night sipping on water, which is a problem in and of itself, you will have not provided your body with proper hydration for approximately six to eight hours. Water is essential for life and comprises over 60% of your body. Water makes up 90% of your blood, which is responsible for circulating oxygen throughout your system. When we are dehydrated, we run the risk of serious health consequences such as kidney damage, high blood pressure, and digestive issues like constipation. When we drink proper amounts of water, it can help with joint health, skin health, flushing the body of waste, brain function, and overall exercise performance. Unfortunately, many people neglect drinking water in the morning for other popular beverages like coffee, tea, or juice. And although these beverages can be consumed, they are not substitutes for drinking water. My personal rule is to not consume my coffee until I have drank at least one glass of water. You should always hydrate before heading out to exercise. And this may seem obvious, but many people fail to hydrate enough or sip on other beverages like coffee instead. You will perform better and prevent other injury and health issues if you hydrate properly. So starting tomorrow, make water the first thing you consume in the morning. Not only will you feel energized, but you will discover that you will perform better and reap the other health benefits of proper hydration. Now for today's episode. All right, welcome back to another edition of the Hunt for Wellness podcast. This is Dr. Tunis Hunt, otherwise known as Bones in the Gloom, and we have an awesome show today. I have none other than Zam Boney joining me on the podcast. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure, my friend. So Zam Boney, uh, that sounds like a cold weather uh, nickname. So give me a little bit about your background with F3, where you post, and how'd you get the name Zam Boney? Uh, so I, I post in Fargo, North Dakota, and uh, I ended up finding F3 just kind of uh, happenstance. I, I'm always scanning news articles uh, in for health trends just because my patients are always asking about stuff. And so they'll ask about some new vitamin or some new trend. And this came up as the fastest growing health trend in America, but it didn't go into details. And so I was like, well, I should look at that. And anyway, I started reading up on it and I thought I want that. I want to do that. So I started looking into it and there was no place in North Dakota. So I ended up reaching out and I connected with Dilly Dilly and he uh, kind of worked me through the process and helped me get started on how to get a, a group going and how to run your first uh, workout and slowly working on then second and third F stuff. And so I found a couple guys and we started out with two guys in August. And then now we think, I think we have about 14 guys in our group and we get about six or seven that show up every Tuesday and Thursday. Man, that's fantastic. You're a, you're an actual true uh, flag, shovel flag planter. In a <laughs> yeah. <region. laughs> yeah. I had no idea what was doing. And then it was great. I was very blessed. We went out to Virginia and I hooked up with uh, funny car. Who's the Nantan in Hampton roads. 
and he was fantastic. And so I posted a bunch with some of the guys out there at a couple workouts and just to kind of, um, and it was really nice to see that we were, we were on track. Right. And so we were doing some of the right stuff. And so, yeah, it's been going really well. Well, so you mentioned reading up on it, an article. Do you remember the article that you were reading that kind of guided you towards F3? Uh, so, well, there was an, uh, it was, there was one in men's health that I read. Um, I saw the today show clip and once I kind of got hooked up with F3, I went to the website. So then I was reading all the stuff on the website and all of the links and stuff that were posted there. And then I started watching different YouTube videos of people posting uh, their videos or their workouts or hype videos online. And anyway, I I was initially a little skeptical. I was like, "Mm, what's the catch here? You know, when do I have to drink the poisoned Kool-Aid? And uh, everything I kept reading. And uh, I really liked what they said in the men's health magazine where they said uh, a hyper positive fight club. And it's, uh, so anyway, I took a chance and it's been awesome. So that's fantastic. I'm curious if that was the article that Matt Crossman or Ralph out of uh, the St. Louis region wrote. Uh, I know that he's a, an author and he writes articles. I'm not sure if that's the one or not, but uh, yeah, I'm that's, not sure. that's awesome, man. And so how did you get your name Zamboni then? I mean, did you hook up through like a virtual workout and they named you that? Uh, how, how, did, how did that happen? Well, so we, uh, the, when our first group met, uh, we, I was just given instructions that the group makes your name. Got it. And, uh, and so we didn't hook up with any other group or anything. We were kind of flying blind a little bit and, and, you know, taking some big leaps of faith and, and with what we're supposed to do. And so the two guys we met around and I just told them about myself and I played hockey growing up. And so they were like, all right, you're Zamboni. And I was like, okay, that's it. That's that. That's wild. I don't know if I've ever heard of a naming story where all the participants were F and G's and they, they named each other. That that's, that's fantastic. I love it. I, that's just the yeah. true root of what we're trying to grow here in F3, which is guys becoming leaders in their community, which you clearly are and what you clearly did. Um, so what were the other two names uh, in that group that day? Uh, it was uh, Einstein okay. and the Greek. The Greek. So you guys are the three uh, godfathers of the the Fargo, North Dakota region, huh? Oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. And they both still post with you on a pretty consistent basis? Einstein, he posts all the time. The Greek had to take a little bit of a break due to some family stuff, but he's hoping to join back up after some of that stuff kind of calms down. So that's great. Now we're going into the winter months. Uh, Tell me a little bit about what an average posts look like, uh, these, these time, this time of year? Well, uh, everybody's heavily bundled. Um, okay. you know, the, the key with cold weather workouts is layers because you'll start out a little chilly. And then after you get through your, uh, warm up and the blood blood's pumping, you know, then you got to start peeling layers off. So you don't end up, so you can stay cool. Otherwise you'll get too wet and then you'll get really cold. Yeah. So we do, we're doing a lot of just normal beat down boot camp stuff. I've, um, I take a lot of workouts from Hampton roads back blast just cause it's organized really well. Um, I've taken a bunch of workouts from the iron packs challenges and, um, 
use those during some of the workouts and the guys have just, they're like, all right, let's do it. That's it. Well, iron packs. I mean, you're diving right into the deep end on that thing. That's uh, those are some really uh, incredible workouts and sounds like you guys are just loving life. Now are you in like a snowy uh, terrain when you do the exercises or are you going into like a covered parking garage area? What, what, what does that typically look like? So we're out in a parking lot um, and we we're still figuring that part out. I think some of our workouts, we're actually going to uh, tell people to make sure you bring winter boots because running through snow and working out in the snow is uh, a challenge itself. Um, But right now we're mainly in the parking lot. Um, And then if it's, if they just had like a snowstorm and the snow hasn't been cleaned off, there's a parking garage about a block away where we'll, where we'll post uh, that we've nicknamed the fortress. <clears throat> so Got it. mainly we're out, we're, we're in the parking lot in this area right next to the river, but otherwise we'll post in the parking garage. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious cause I've seen posts from other colder region areas with ice and snow is prevalent. And sometimes getting that covered garage is a nice, uh, opportunity to still do some of the different exercises that could be technically challenging with, with different type of terrain. So Zamboni, what is your hospital name? Uh, Jason Mirmo. Mirmo. And uh, are you always, are you, have you grown up in the North Dakota area or did you move around? Is, are you from that area? Yeah, I'd, I say I'm Dakota made because I mainly grew up in South Dakota and North Dakota. So, okay. uh, but yeah, mainly the Midwest here. I went to undergrad in Alaska. Uh, med school in South Dakota. And then I did my residency training in Norfolk, Virginia. Got it. So, yeah, so that's a pretty good transition. Uh, I was kind of going to dive in to see, see what your mammon was. And, and so maybe you can kind of fill in our listeners. Uh, Pax, I brought uh, Zamboni on uh, because he is a medical doctor and we're going to talk about some different topics around health and, and, and wellness. But uh, in any case, uh, Zamboni, if you want to, uh, so medically trained, uh, as a medical doctor, what type of practice do you typically run now, uh, in, in the, in Fargo, I guess it's where you're at. Uh, I'm a dual boarded internal and family medicine physician, and I do outpatient primary care full time. So I see everything from colds and, uh, to physicals, to chronic disease management, uh, a good amount of procedures, injections, skin biopsies, uh, vasectomies, kind of, you name it. Got it. So you're a jack of all trades for your community. It sounds like. Absolutely. <laughs> Got it. Is there a major hospital system next to you? Or are you kind of out in the little more of the, the rural area where everyone has to rely on you specifically? How does that look? So I'm part of a bigger hospital system called Sanford health. And so it's uh, this is sort of a, a regional hub. There's a large multi-specialty hospital and then multiple clinics and specialty clinics in the Fargo-Moorhead area. Got it. Okay. Well, I appreciate the background a little bit. And uh, so I had the chance, uh, Pax, to talk to Zamboni a little bit before our opportunity to, to record this podcast. And he was kind of explaining some of the things that he does. And, and we got on the topics of, of the different procedures that he was doing. And he kind of made a comment that he's been doing quite a bit of vasectomies uh, as of late. And it kind of perked my ears up. And I thought, you know what, Uh, this might be a good topic to talk about, because um, I know 
when I'm talking, uh, you know, in the gloom with other guys about different health things and, and different um, health procedures that they are out there, uh, this is something that does come up, um, especially if uh, a PAX member is kind of done having children, the wife is talking about it, the wife is maybe uh, considering getting her tubes tied or, or, or the, the husband getting a vasectomy. And, and I can hear in many cases, uh, the PAX kind of uh, ask questions or worry or, or bring up, I guess, what we call common myths around vasectomies, what it is, what it isn't, what it does, what it doesn't do. And so anyway, I wanted to kind of brush this subject with Zamboni because he's an expert in this. He, he does these procedures and maybe he could just walk us through this process. So, so, the, so first and foremost, uh, Zamboni, what exactly is a vasectomy from a procedural standpoint? I mean, if you were explaining it to a patient, this is what the procedure looks like. What, what would that sound like? Yeah, so the vasectomy is, uh, in essence, you're removing part of the vas deferens. So that's, there's going to be a little bit of technical here, tough, because you can't explain it otherwise, but that's the tube that transports the sperm from the testicle to the magic place, right? So you're going to, basically what we're going to be doing is, is removing a small piece of that tube. Uh, the way I like to explain it is the interstate's still there. We're just taking the off-ramp away, right? So you still make sperm. There's no um, change in that part, but again, it's just not getting on the interstate. So we're just preventing um, the sperm from joining the rest of the semen. And, and we're, again, there's more technical stuff than just removing part of it, but in essence, that's what we're doing. Got it. So um, just so I'm clear and, and, and the listeners are clear, sounds like there's areas of the body, the testes that make sperm, correct? correct. And, and that sperm has to travel to another area in, in the male reproductive area to be joined with the rest of what we consider a semen. A, a lot of correct. times I think people miss uh, are, are misinformed. They think sperm and semen are one in the same. And that, that's correct. And, and that they're, that in fact, sperm is really actually, a, or excuse me. Yeah. Sperm is actually a very, very small percentage of actually what semen is. If, if I'm correct, I think it's like two to 5%, correct? I mean, it's something yeah. really small. It's and very small. So from a semen consistency standpoint, if you will, that really doesn't change or look any different after a vasectomy than it would have been prior to a vasectomy. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Gotcha. And then you mentioned the, the vast deference as this highway, if you will. And that's really the only thing that's being surgically touched or manipulated in this entire procedure. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, perfect. Um, so walk me through kind of what that procedure look, I mean, you kind of walked, you know, the technical stuff, but, but if, if, if a PAX member said, okay, listen, uh, I've chosen to get uh, a vasectomy, what would their like, in clinic experience be like, um, if they chose to go through with something like that? Yeah. So that's a great question. So, you know, they would come in, uh, you're going to do your own normal check-in things that you would check your vitals. Uh, we'll have them go to the procedure room and, uh, after they get undressed and onto the procedure table, we'll, uh, have everything set up of course. And then, <clears throat> 
We'll make sure that they still want to do the procedure because sometimes guys will back out at the last second, but most of the time they don't. Uh, and then we're going to set everything up. We're going to use sterile technique, of course, to minimize risk of infection. Um, and then once everything is set up, then we're going to numb up the, the scrotum appropriately uh, so that there's no pain. And then we're going to begin the procedure. And so we'll make, uh, and then this is where some uh, slight differences in technique. Some people use, you know, there's one surgical opening in the middle. Sometimes people will use two surgical openings, uh, one on each side, but they're usually very small. Um, and then you uh, manipulate the tissue so that the vas deferens can be isolated and pulled out. And then once that part is removed, uh, the rest of the tissue goes right back into the scrotum and one stitch and it, it's sewed up and you're done. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds relatively straightforward and easy. What kind of time frame are we talking about as far as that entire procedure? Uh, on average, I'd say probably 15 to 30 minutes. And the variability is based off of how nervous a guy is. Um, there are some anatomical differences. If you have a longer vas deferens, uh, it's a little bit easier to manipulate. And so, or if you have a shorter vas deferens, it might be harder to find. Um, but anxiety is probably one of the biggest, um, barriers and that's more for me to overcome. And so there's some things that can be done. You can pre-medicate ahead of time. Distraction is very powerful. So often, uh, the conversations in the procedure table will really vary from, you know, we talk about Christmas movies, uh, people's kids or sports. Um, I had one of my patients was a railroad engineer and I learned more about trains than I have ever known in my entire life. Um, and he started talking about trains. He loved it. And so he would tell me about the C598 decoupler. That is not a real thing. So yeah. apologize if any of you guys are railroad <laughs> people, but he started talking about it and I uh, would just keep talking and asking questions and it, it worked beautifully. His, he was fully absorbed in railroad world and, by the time we were done, he was, oh, we're done. Oh, great. This is awesome. Yeah. So you mentioned having conversations with the patients. So obviously we're utilizing local anesthesia. We're not talking about, you know, global or putting somebody under. Uh, is that correct? That is correct. Now, some guys um, are who are really nervous about the procedure. And that's something that we end up talking about during the consult. Uh, most of my patients never have to do that. Um, but I have had a couple people who we haven't even done anything. We've just started talking about the procedure and they will pass out in the, during the consult. Um, if something like that happens, um, having a higher level of anesthesia is recommended. And then I would, then it's not uncommon to have, you know, you see urology where they can provide the higher level of anesthesia, but otherwise it's just local. Got it. Um, you mentioned being um, anxious, uh, having to overcome that anxiety, uh, the patient uh, does. What are typical things that make most men nervous or anxious about this procedure? I mean, what, what, what are they saying to you as far as what's creating that anxiety? Uh, I think there's uh, probably a couple things uh, and the themes are, are consistent. One, it's just uh, coming to a doctor's office. As a general rule, men uh, don't like to go see the doctor. And their only reason they've 
come to see the doctor is they're like, well, my wife said she was going to kill me or I go to the doctor and then they're like, well, which one? Well, I guess I'll come in. Right. So I think there's just some uh, general anxiety about seeing a provider. When you then talk about the nature of what this procedure is and the location of it, it does create more anxiety. Um, and just just because of that, you know, and and they don't necessarily voice any specific fears or concerns. It's just this is a very sensitive area and they're not quite sure what to expect. They can't really see what's going on. Uh, one guy said to me, he's like, you could be cutting my hand off. I'd be totally fine. But because of the procedure being done where it is, it, it ups the level of anxiety significantly. And I think that's just part of it. Um, and so, but I think there's also fears that it, you know, is it going to affect their sexual drive or their ability to have intercourse or be intimate and um, that's not true. That's not something that changes at all. Um, I think there's just reluctance or hesitancy sometimes because of stories they've heard on the internet or from their friends. And some of their friends, you know, tell them, you know, it's not that bad, just take it easy. But they also hear horror stories um, of bad outcomes that have maybe happened. And so if that's their only point of reference, they, they, they're like, I'm not even going in. Like, that's just not worth it. So I think those are probably the most common trends or things that I hear about in regard to um, the procedure. Yeah. Um, and, and just full disclosure uh, to, to the audience, I have personally had a vasectomy. That was something my wife and I decided to do after our, the, the birth of our second child. So I have a little firsthand knowledge on, on what you're explaining. And, and, and personally, uh, I can I can relate to a lot of those uh, anxieties, the, those thoughts. Uh, and even though I was, you know, quote unquote, medically trained in a lot of this, and I understood the science, and I understood the anatomy, and I understood what was going on and not going on, um, still at the back of your mind, you're just like, ah, is this going to really turn out exactly the way I want it to turn out? So, speaking of that, uh, prior to the surgery, you have a consult. Um, mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about what that looks like. So, so husband and wife, man and woman, whatever partners that they decide that they, uh, want to move forward with a vasectomy. Um, obviously you can't walk in the door and say, Hey, I'm thinking about a vasectomy. Can I have it done later today? There's a process here, correct? I mean, kind of walk mm -hmm. us through how that process looks with the consult, what, what you as a physician are looking for, who this procedure is right for, and then who you believe that maybe shouldn't do this kind of procedure um, when, when you're having a consultation with them. Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. Um, generally speaking, when people want to have the procedure, they're going to just schedule it. And then we come in and we talk and ask, you know, how many kids do you have? What are you using currently for birth control? And, uh, and then we'll go over the, the risk factors and that, those will be short-term risks about bleeding, infection, short-term pain. And we talk about all the long-term side effects potentially. And most of those are very rare or don't really happen. Um, a lot of the, the most common side effects that I see often are because people overdo it. You know, they get a little overconfident after the procedure and that's what we address and those things uh, to minimize those risks. Again, it's just take it easy. Um, we talk about, uh, you know, that this doesn't protect against infections, that it's only for pregnancy and that it's still not 
effective until we get the semen analysis. Uh, a lot of guys, once they get the procedure done, there's a, there can be a misperception that they're ready to go and that they don't have to worry about pregnancy. And so they'll uh, end up getting the procedure done, end up having intercourse and having an unexpected pregnancy. And so again, you have to, there's still residual sperm. So we go through all of that. And then, then there's kind of an opportunity to ask questions or if there's anything else that needs to be discussed. And then we'll do an exam. And then if they want to, they can schedule the procedure at that point. Um, I think the biggest issue that most people get worried about during this whole process in the, the consult again is my biggest job is dealing with the anxiety. So I, I'm gauging the, the patient's ability or anxiety and, and, you know, you crack a small joke or um, uh, just anything to kind of help them be at ease. And then a lot of times they'll ask me, you know, have you done a lot of these? And I'll say something like, well, you know, I've watched the YouTube video and I love it. And, and it's completely cheesy, but sure. it, it really, again, helps kind of crack the ice. And then we can actually have a good conversation at that point. Yeah, I love it. Uh, you know, and, and just talking to you briefly, um, I can tell you have great bedside manner and I'm sure your patients love you with that. Uh, uh, and I love the whole YouTube thing. I have patients too. They'll ask, yeah, how long have you been doing this? You know, as, as many of you guys know, I'm a chiropractor and I'll be like, yeah, I actually started yesterday. So uh, you're my third patient. And of course, you know, they laugh and of course they know that I'm completely joking, but I love how that just disarms them and makes them a little more comfortable. And, and it sounds like you have similar techniques. Um, do you ever have a consult with somebody and based on the conversation you have with them or their spouse say, Hey, this might not be what you're looking to do at this point in time. And, and if so, yeah. kind of what was kind of the, the purpose or the reason behind that? Yeah. So I think at the end of the day, uh, it really comes down to is, are you hundred percent certain that you don't want kids? Um, if you're pretty close, but you're not quite there, uh, it, it's always good to, to take some time, I think, to really decide, is this what we want? Because if you get the procedure done, and even though you were 99.9%, .9%, that 0.1% will eat away at you, it's better to go home and you know wait a month um, and really be a hundred percent certain that this is absolutely what we want. Uh, sometimes patients will ask, you know, should I save sperm for later just in case? And if you're asking questions like that, it, it's kind of an indication that there's still some doubts that maybe we want to have another child, um, and, you know, grow our family a little bit. And so, uh, I always tell people with that, you know, it, maybe you should, you know, make sure you're a hundred percent that this is exactly what you want because it is uh, a permanent form of birth control. And so you don't want to end up doing something out of frustration or, you know, we just had our third kid and we're exhausted and tired and we haven't slept in a long time. Um, and so you're making the decision out of that place versus, nope, we're good. We have three kids. We're absolutely done with our family and that's where we want to go. And so, it's ultimately their decision. And, and, and I respect that. And I think most providers say that, but if there's doubts about the procedure, not because of the procedure itself, but because of, should we have more kids or not, then 
it's best to take pause and go home and speak with your partner and, and decide what's the best step for you and your family. Yeah. Because I mean, you're, you're, you're alluding to it. I mean, essentially you should approach this procedure as a permanent one time and done type of scenario. Correct. I mean, it's not one of those things that you enter into with, well, maybe one day I can reverse it. Now, speaking of that, I mean, that is a possibility. Is that not Mm -hmm. correct? uh, As far as reversals go, kind of explain a little bit how that would work. If somebody, let's say, let's say, you're happily married and, and you have three kids and you don't want any more. And then something happens in your life where you may have a different spouse down the road or choose to have children and, and, and maybe want to try to have, um, you know, uh, reproduce again. H- how would that procedure or what would that look like? Well, so that, that is out of, um, that falls into the territory of urologist. And so, but uh, I mean, in essence, they're going to go back in and try to reattach the vas deferens. Um, and uh, how that procedure looks exactly and what they do, I couldn't speak to that. Got it. Um, but I, 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 to what you said, though, this is a permanent form of birth control and it can be reversed. And if you're going into it with the mindset of, well, I can reverse it if, that's usually not a good place to be um, getting it done because if you're thinking about eventualities, again, you, you probably should postpone, but to your other point, the most common reason why this does happen is uh, if your spouse passes away or you get divorced or break up and you end up finding somebody else. um, That's the most common reason why somebody who had had a vasectomy would get it reversed. Um, but that's something that you don't plan for, you, you know, that's not the reason why you get a vasectomy. And what do you have any idea? I understand that you're not a urologist and, and don't reverse them, but do you have any um, idea of what the success rate of uh, reversing is? Uh, well, it varies on a number of factors. One is the surgeon itself. There's different uh, success rates there. Um, some of it depends on, uh, the time from the vasectomy to the reversal. So the sooner you get it reversed, the higher success rate. Um, some of it depends on the type of the actual vasectomy and there's slight modifications, whether you cut, cauterize, tie off. Um, but all of those things kind of uh, vary and, and affect the outcomes. Got it. Okay. You know, uh, keep thinking back to the office scene when Michael Scott was talking about <laughs> getting the vasectomy reverse back, you know, going back and forth and just the, the nightmare that that would have been. But uh, obviously that's a joke. No one's really ever doing that uh, back and forth. But so when let's talk about some of the major obstacles, I guess, in, in my opinion, or challenges, and, and, and you obviously hear this much more than I do, but some of the common things that I hear from guys about well, I'm not going to get a vasectomy is because I'm going to lose some of my masculinity. I'm going to lose some, something around my malehood as a result of that. So speak to that for us uh, a little bit about what the vasectomy is not doing and why that would or wouldn't affect masculinity at all. Yeah. So, um, so that's not true at all. You know, uh, 
It's not affecting your testosterone production. It's not going to affect your libido or your sexual drive or your ability to have sex. Um, it is only taking away your ability to have more children. Um, and so if your definition of masculinity is defined on your ability to procreate, then I suppose you could, one could argue that that would in fact affect your masculinity. But I think, uh, you know, what F3 is doing and, and, is that masculinity and being a man is not being defined on how many kids we have. Being a man is based off of uh, how we take care of our family, um, how we show up for work, how we interact with our kids and our friends and our colleagues, um, you know, showing up and dealing with difficult situations. But I think it's a common thing that people feel that like uh, my ability to reproduce and um, that somehow that's linked and it's not. Um, so that doesn't affect your masculinity or being a man, but I think every guy has to make peace with the idea that you can't have any more kids because it does make you a little anxious when you're going, can I have like, what if, you know, I don't know. I really like kids and I want to have more kids. Um, so you really do have to have that conversation with yourself and be okay with not having more kids because if you're not, then again, it's not the procedure for you. Sure. Um, you mentioned testosterone, um, you know, and that's really the hormone that's important to a man as far as getting the masculine features and the masculinity and the, the, the libido and, and so forth. So to your point, you're not affecting any of that. I mean, sperm production has nothing to do with uh, testosterone production. Um, uh, and I think sometimes people get confused with that. They think testes, they think testosterone, they think a vasectomies of, you know, in the area of the testes. So therefore um, maybe it's affecting that masculinity hormone and, and really it's not. And if, um, if, if I'm correct, if, if I'm thinking correctly, I mean, really your sperm production doesn't change either. Right. I mean, you actually still make sperm. It's just doesn't have the, the canal to go up to get to this place where uh, you can procreate. Is that correct? Yep. You still make sperm and, and, so your body's always making sperm. And then as that sperm is unhealthy and it, if it's not going anywhere, it eventually breaks down and gets reabsorbed and your body makes new sperm because it wants to be, have the most healthy sperm possible to have the success of making a child. Well, if we have no place for that sperm to go, that same process that is always happening still occurs. Got it. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, sometimes you'll hear objections like, well, this procedure could lead to other health related issues down the road, maybe cancers or some other things. Um, speak to that a little bit as far as what you understand um, as far as risk factors go. Yeah. So that's a great question. And so I think the biggest one that has come up is regard to, you know, the risk between prostate cancer and getting a vasectomy. And this is something that's been researched quite extensively and there's no link or research showing that getting a vasectomy increases your risk of prostate cancer. Um, prostate cancer is the most common cancer in men. And so it's just, it happens a lot. And so it's, uh, but in between the procedure and prostate cancer, there is no link at all. Got it. Well, I mean, uh, and, and that's good to hear. Cause I, th I think, you know, that's one of the things at the back of the mind of some guys, as far as their objections go. So obviously you have a procedure done, you have something done, uh, you, you, 
depending on, I guess you mentioned there's a few different techniques, whether it's solderization or clamping or some of those things, what is the most common um, post procedural effect that a guy could experience? So, so let's just say, I mean, I, I have obviously a personal story, but from, from, from your vantage point of working with lots and lots of different men, what is the most typical kind of post-procedural process that they go through as far as pain, discomfort, and getting back into normal activity? Yeah, so that's, um, so typically you're going to have some bruising, you're going to have some swelling, you'll have some discomfort, and uh, and those are all normal things. Again, you just had a surgical procedure done, and if most patients uh, take it easy and relax and um, avoid any sort of heavy lifting or straining, the recovery is actually quite good. And usually within a week, they can get back to normal activities. Um, I think the biggest issue postoperatively is that uh, patients will feel pretty good. You know, they'll be like, it's a little uncomfortable. Uh, You know, it feels like maybe you kind of got a light kick or a light graze or a little, you know, you're like, whoa, that was a zinger kind of sensation. Um, and that always slowly gets better in time. And, and where men get in trouble is they'll have this sort of overconfidence of, you know, what, I'm thinking I'm okay. And they'll be like, maybe I can go mow my yard. You know, I'm on a riding lawnmower. It's probably not that big of a deal, but it's, it's bumping up and down. And anytime you engage your core muscles, you're putting a lot of in pressure in your gut and you're also increasing pressure downward into your pelvis and then that's going to affect ability things to heal and so without fail all of my patients that have had issues with this they've often ended up sort of overdoing it and it all starts with that exact same kind of scenario well I was feeling pretty good so I thought and then fill in the blank with something that you probably shouldn't have done yeah I mean as men or at least you know, I can speak to myself for myself. I, I hate the idea of just sitting around and, and I'll remember, I remember, um, the day after my particular procedure, uh, my oldest, uh, daughter, well, my only daughter, but my oldest child at the time, uh, she had like a birthday party at a bounce house. And I, I remember going, uh, to that birthday party and, and just was going to do absolutely nothing. But then you kind of get sucked into, okay, I'll go out there and do something with you. And, and I will say I paid for it. I, I definitely should not have done that. I should have done what my initial plan was, which was just lay on the couch all weekend and um, play that card that uh, I think, you know, a lot of guys like to play if they go through this procedure with kind of getting weighted on, if you will, on the back end of things. And, and I will say firsthand that uh, you guys should rest if you have this procedure, give it a week or two. Don't go post in the gloom. The guys will understand that uh, you're recovering, but uh, I can completely uh, relate to that, that guy that says, I was feeling pretty good, man. I, I, I don't need to lay here any longer. Um, so anyway, as you far- could have gone to the birthday party. You, correct. And that's, that, that's that would have been okay. Yeah. That's how I kind of got sucked into it. It was like, Hey, we'll just come and sit and, and, you know, you can watch and then, you know, the kids out in the middle of the bounce house crying and you got to go out there and you're getting bounced around. And, and before I knew it, I was moving more than I should. And, and it certainly af- affected maybe some of my healing time. Now you mentioned earlier about um, giving yourself that window 
if you will, after the procedure and risk, if you will, to, to reproduce again. What is that window? I mean, typically from procedure to kind of having, um, you know, a, a clear tube, if you will, how long does that typically take? So uh, it's a minimum of three months and 25 to 30 ejaculations. Okay. Uh, and uh, you need to meet both of those requirements. And then after those have been done, then you'll do the semen analysis. And at that point, uh, so if you, um, if it's at four months, but you've only got 20 ejaculations, again, you still need to get those number of ejaculations because there still will be residual sperm. The vas deferens is a very long tube that goes up through your groin, then up around the bladder, and then goes through the prostate gland and then to the urethra to then join all the rest of the components of semen. And so there's still residual sperm throughout that entire tube, and that needs to be cleared out. And then once that semen analysis is back, you're good to go. Yeah, because you brought up a good point. I mean, the, 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 the place of the procedure is much more closer to the testes and the scrotum, but the tube itself ascends from there and it's much longer. And so when you have the procedure done, there's still a lot of sperm in that tube upstream, if you will, that Correct. is what you're referring to as far as needs to be um, moved out of the body prior to being completely clear and free. Correct. Got it. Yeah. I, I remember when I went through all that, um, I remember after my I had ended up having to get two analysis because the first one came back and they still noticed some in there. And so, uh, I had to go back, but you know, that was, you know, we were trying to follow those procedures and, and it just goes to show, I guess, is what I'm saying that it's definitely in there still. And, and you gotta, you gotta take your, you gotta be patient and allow that whole process to happen before you kind of get that green light and are able to, to move forward with less risk of, of pregnancy. Absolutely. Um, well, man, that, that was great. I, I really appreciate uh, all that knowledge. Um, is there anything else that you can think of uh, around this topic that you think our, our listeners should know about or anything else that you want to share surrounding it? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, if you're thinking about it, uh, just meet with your provider and have that conversation. The consult is exactly what that's meant uh, to be right, to ask questions, to address any anxieties about the procedure. And uh, it you're not locked into getting the procedure done. It's just an information session. And so um, again, if you're thinking about this is the right choice for you in regard to uh, reproduction and birth control, set an appointment with your, with your doctor and write down your questions ahead of time. Uh, bring your wife or your partner, if that would be more appropriate, or if you both want to come, that's more than welcome and, uh, just get it done. Right. Rather than constantly having those thoughts pop around in your head going, well, should I, shouldn't I, I don't know. And, if you read on the internet and talk to your buddies, that's a really good way to convince yourself not to do it. <laughs> um, and last I checked, that's usually not the best place for some questions when it comes to this. So, yeah. And, you know, uh, just so uh, the packs, you know, there's about a half a million vasectomies done about every year. So, I mean, it's, it's a very common procedure. Lots of guys get it. 
Um, and when it comes to evaluating different options for contraception, really it's one of the, the, the uh, least invasive, least problematic things long-term with great uh, success rate. Uh, because certainly you could, you could practice other uh, you know, methods uh, certainly, uh, another option would be, you know, your wife or partner having their tubes tied, but that's a big time procedure and usually is only done when they're kind of already opened up after a birthing process or something that, but that's a much more invasive surgery. Uh, so really the vasectomy is, is certainly, uh, the easier thing. And then hormonally speaking, um, just because I I've done, or I've dealt with a lot of females, um, in the functional medicine space, you know, long-term birth control use can wreak havoc on a woman's hormonal system. And so really from a safety standpoint in, in our own family, that's kind of what we looked at. I, I would prefer to have a vasectomy than my wife being subjected to birth control, you know, indefinitely for the rest of her life. So that was just something that we considered. Um, and so I don't know if you want to comment on that Zamboni or not, but that's, that's just one of the thought processes I had around the whole thing as well. Yeah, no, I think you said it very well in regard to the, you know, every person's choice is going to be their own. So I think that's really important to stay, but you're absolutely right about, it's a very common procedure. Um, it's very low risk, um, highly effective, and it's very affordable. Even the cost say of comparing a tubal ligation to a vasectomy, which from a, um, anatomic point of view are essentially the same thing. Um, is uh, much less, right? So uh, vasectomy by far is a, is a five-star procedure, you know, comparatively speaking in regard to cost, risks, benefits, all of it. So uh, if you have questions, ask them. If you have doubts, go see your doctor. Um, meeting with your own provider and asking those questions one-to-one -one is going to, there, there will be no replacement for that. Um, but it's okay. Every guy, I promise you, has all the same thoughts about, about these are the family jewels and what are we going to do about it and how, how are things going to work after it? All of those are normal questions, but don't let that be a barrier to going in and having a consult with your you know, urologist or primary care provider that does the procedure. Yeah, and totally agree with that. And, and, and Pax, just so you know... Um, even though Zamboni is a professional, he does all this all the time. Uh, just, just know that he is not offering medical advice on this podcast. He is uh, just volunteering his time and his expertise for us that you need to consult your own doctor and have them talk through your own health conditions so that uh, you are able to make an informed decision on whether or not this is right for you and your family. Uh, so Zamboni, I got a couple last questions here for you and then we'll kind of wrap things up. My first is this, um, and it doesn't have to be around vasectomy, of course. It can be just anything when it comes to health, wellness, nutrition. But what are three tips that you would give somebody if they were struggling with their health to help them get on their hunt for wellness? Oh, that's a great question. And it's something that I, I get asked on a regular basis. I think, you know, the the first one I would say is, it's never too late, right? Uh, a lot of times, uh, whether people are overweight or their age or depending on where they are, uh, a lot of times there's a lot of 
excuses and, and, and fears or anxieties. And they're just, I can't do it. What's the point? Why should I try? It's never too late. Right. So if it crosses your mind, uh, do it, reach out, ask for help. Um, but it's never too late to start making changes. Um, I think the second one I would say would just start and go small, right? Too many people try to make changes that are, 180 degree shift and very few people can do that type of a change in their life. Um, start small, right? If you drink a lot of soda, drink one less soda a day, right? And then after you do that, then drink one less soda after that. It doesn't have to be, I'm giving up all sugar forever and ever, and I'm never going to do it. Most people can't do that. If you can do that, tell me the trick because I'm not that kind of a person. I wish I could be, but I can't. Like I have to do small little changes and then I'll make another change and another change. And, um, and I think the last thing I always tell people um, is, is just be kind with yourself. Uh, a lot of times when people start to make changes with health and wellness, we don't do this anywhere else in our life, but for some reason, when it comes to eating and exercise, people expect perfection. Uh, whether it's implicitly or explicitly stated, they'll start making some changes and they'll be very healthy. And then maybe they got late at work or they see a buddy and they go out and they have an extra beer or an extra slice of pizza. And then they'll throw their hands up in the air and say, oh, I've just ruined everything. Why do I even try? What's the point? And then they'll order another pitcher of beer and 30 more wings. The extra pizza didn't ruin anything. It's just an extra piece of pizza. So you're human. Give yourself a break and you just keep going one step at a time and just keep moving in the right direction. Don't give up. I think that's the heart, the, my last piece of advice. So, you know, to summarize is it's never too late to start. Um, go small and slowly work your way up. And then three, just be gentle with yourself because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to screw it up. You're going to eat too much or you'll miss an exercise. And you know what you do? You just start over again. Man, I love those tips and truly resonate, uh, you know, with me and, and just what, what I have to share with my patients a lot of times. And, you know, to your point, it's okay to not be perfect. And I think sometimes Absolutely. people use that as an excuse to quit on moving in the direction that they were moving in. And, and to your point, it's not the end of the world. And as long as you're willing to consistently step again and move in the right direction, you'll, you'll keep moving with that momentum. Um, so I got one final question for you, but before I ask that, I just want to take a few moments here and acknowledge you and say thank you for uh, your willingness to jump on the podcast today and, and share your expertise and knowledge. I, I know it's a, uh, it's a funny subject to talk about, and it's one of those subjects that certainly guys don't sit around in the gloom and discuss because of whatever reason. Um, but I think it's important information. I think there's guys out there that are considering it or weren't sure about it or certainly was ignorant around it that I think you're going to serve. So thank you for that. If somebody wanted to follow up with you, um, whether it's you know, around the topic we did today, or just kind of check in on what, what's going on in North Dakota and the packs up there. What's the best way that we can get in touch with you? Uh, well, I'm on Slack, so that's probably going to be the easiest, I guess. Um, what we also have a, uh, F3 Fargo, uh, Facebook page. And then, uh, we have a 
uh, email f3nationfargo at gmail. So you could reach out at any one of those if you had questions or comments. And, uh, you know, anybody who wants to come up, we haven't, I haven't figured it out, but uh, if you come up in uh, the cold, cold weather, there's going to be a temperature gradient, like I think maybe like negative 20, you're going to get some kind of a special patch or, a, you know, if you post at negative 20 degrees, you, there's a, you get a reward for that because that takes some cojones to come out when it's that cold. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, I'm in the Charlotte, North Carolina region, and, and we start whining in the 20s, so I can only imagine 20 below. <laughs> so uh, I don't have any reason to travel to Fargo, I don't think, in the winter, but, but those guys that do, uh, I hope they take you up on that challenge, because I'd love to see posts around that. So very good. So my last question, Zamboni, is this. What is your definition of wellness? I think uh, my definition of wellness is uh, keeping it simple and not getting stuck on the rat race. And that's a very broad, uh, like a very broad sweeping term in regard to, but there's all this pressure of, we got to keep up with the Joneses and we have to do this and we have to do that. But at the end of the day, uh, spend time with your family, take care of yourself, um, eat healthy food, uh, you know, if you can't read the ingredient label without an advanced degree in organic chemistry, it's probably not that good for you. Um, uh, and then you got to take care of your heart, you know, and I think that a lot of men have a really hard time doing that. And I think that that's part of, um, again, not getting caught in that rat race. What is a man? Who are we? What are we supposed to be? A bigger boat, a bigger house, more money, more power. Um, and at the end of the day, those things don't matter. And I think we get so stuck in trying to meet those needs. It ends up causing so much stress for people. And so, but at the end of the day, I want to go home and spend time with my wife and my kids. Um, I want to be healthy enough to where I can play soccer with them. I want to fuel my body with good stuff so I can do those things. And so um, wellness is taking care of, uh, of yourself and, and the people around you. Um, as very long and it's perfect, I, man. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the hunt for wellness podcast. Please rate and review our show and be sure to share it with your F3 brothers. As always, we are looking for inspiring stories to share and health experts to interview. So if that's you, please reach out to me at bones at huntforwellness.com, on the nation's Slack at Bones, or Twitter at HFW Podcast. And until next time, this has been Bones guiding the packs of F3 Nation on their hunt for wellness. <laughs>